we actually need not one vaccine, we need multiple vaccines to be successful because we have 300 million people in this country and we have 7 billion people in the world. No single company is going to be able to supply the world with vaccine product. Dr. Dan Baruch heads the Center for Virology and Vaccine Research at the Beth Israel Deaconess Medical Center, a Harvard teaching hospital. His team, many of whom are working seven days a week since January, is developing a vaccine for the coronavirus together with Johnson & Johnson. In today's conversation, we sat down to talk about what this journey has been like. How do we get to the finish line? And when will we finally get a vaccine? I'm Zoya Soroy, and this is The Dive, where we bring Harvard experts to break down the headlines for you. Hi. Hello. Can Hi. you hear me? Yes. Well, first of all, thank you so much uh, for joining us. I am sure you have more than enough to do as it is. So we really appreciate it that you took the time to talk to us. Um, give us a picture of what the past four months have been like for you. Well, it's actually been the past six months because we started working on COVID-19 in early January of this year before it was even called COVID-19. Wow. Uh, we started working on um, developing a vaccine for this mysterious new virus that caused a cluster of pneumonias in Wuhan in China that uh, in the first week of January uh, was reported to have caused disease in 41 individuals and caused uh, death in one individual. And that was considered alarming at that point in time. Chinese health authorities are still working to identify the virus behind a pneumonia outbreak in the central city of Wuhan. According to authorities, the number of cases has increased to 44, with 11 of them in serious condition. Now those numbers seem like a true drop in the bucket. Uh, but in early January, no one could have forecasted what this virus would have done to uh, our population, our country, the world and uh, the very fabric of society. And when you started working on the vaccine, did you think that this was gonna be something that will, will be used regionally in China? Or did you have any sort of even glimmer of doubt that this would uh, expand to, to what it is currently? Well, in the first week of January, uh, our group, so our, our lab has a long commitment to vaccine work, mm -hmm. uh, vaccine development, and understanding the pathogenesis of viral diseases and development of vaccines. We've been working on HIV for the last 15 years. We've been working on Zika virus, and we're working on other uh, projects as well. In early January this year, um, we were concerned about the outbreak of this pneumonia in Wuhan in China because it had several very worrisome features. First, it appeared to have the ability to spread rapidly. Second, it was not completely clear that all the individuals had a common exposure source. Some of them were, were associated with a particular seafood market uh, in, in Wuhan, and it appeared to um, uh, have uh, the ability to spread amongst asymptomatic individuals. It was suspected then and proven a few weeks later. Mm -hmm. So the combination of 
rapid spread, as well as potential spread from asymptomatic persons, of course, those have now been very clearly proven, together with the fact that it was a novel coronavirus that had no immunity in the human population, raised the possibility very early on in January that this virus could have pandemic spread. Now, we, we, never, we never would have predicted it would have uh, spread to the extent that it did, mm. uh, because what it's done uh, has been truly astonishing. Uh, probably the worst pandemic of our generation. And uh, some people have said the worst pandemic since uh, the influenza uh, epidemic in 1918, which is literally 100 years ago. We were very concerned about this from early January. Uh, and that's why we started focusing on this work, uh, essentially starting on, uh, starting on uh, January 10th, which was the day that the Chinese investigators released the sequence of the virus. Wow. Um, and the, the development of this vaccine is quite a unique undertaking because, and correct me if I'm wrong, but not only would this be the fastest vaccine ever developed, but it was, would also be the first vaccine for a disease for which there is no remedy. Is that true? And what does that mean in practice? What does that mean for you when you're working on it? Well, um, if the vaccine effort is successful, I'm not just talking about our group's work, but mm -hmm. the global vaccine effort, if the global vaccine effort is successful and if it can be done by say next year, which is what some people are predicting, then it will be by far the fastest vaccine development effort ever in history. Because it normally would take... Normally, it would take many years, possibly even decades, to develop a vaccine for a brand new pathogen that has never been seen before uh, by humans. Uh, that means that there's no immunity in the human population, but it also means that there's no scientific understanding of the virus amongst doctors and scientists. And so the understanding of what kind of disease it causes, what's the pathogenesis of the disease, what kind of immune responses are generated by the infection, what kind of immune responses are needed to protect against the infection, mm -hmm. all that basic knowledge is not known. And there's been astonishing progress just in the last six months in terms of our clinical and scientific understanding of the virus. Um, but it still is only six months of knowledge. Right. And we're still in our infancy in terms of our understanding of the SARS-CoV-2 virus. And um, when you decided to lead this effort, um, what, what was the pressure like? It's been a degree of pressure and intensity that we've never experienced before um, uh, for many different reasons. First and foremost, our desire to move this vaccine program forward as fast as possible, uh, while of course um, keeping everything as safe as possible because mm. safety is the most important part about any vaccine. So we never want to rush to the point of uh, doing something that would be unsafe or to have a less robust safety database for patients. But within that, there's a lot of hard work that, that, that is required. And uh, uh, my team and my lab has been working harder and more intensively than ever before since January 10th on this virus. W and what do the working hours look like? Well, there's a lot of people, myself included, that truly have not taken a single day off since January 10th. 
because we just want to be able to move this vaccine program forward just a little bit faster. And in addition to the actual workload, then uh, uh, working in the context of a pandemic has been uh, surreal. Uh, I mean, truly unprecedented to be working on this, this virus and to be working on this vaccine and in front of our eyes watching the pandemic explode in China and then explode in the Middle East and in Western Europe and then explode in the United States right outside our back door. Right. And everything has been more difficult and more surreal than ever before, including simply the operations of a lab, how to keep people in the lab safe with, uh, with masks and the distancing to ordering lab supplies because um, the company's shipping supplies are working on a skeleton staff. The uh, ability to receive supplies here uh, sometimes is not smooth. So every single thing about uh, uh, operating in the context of a raging pandemic right outside our front door has been um, uh, incredibly intense, but also incredibly surreal. Right. And um, you are working in partnership with Johnson & Johnson, right? Their, the, their division of vaccine development. Um, Yes, so we have several programs ongoing. So we have a basic research program that is, that is independent in trying to understand this virus and understand mm -hmm. the immunity to this virus. Uh, in early January, or rather by the middle of January, we decided that our vaccine development efforts, we would partner with J&J, uh, largely because we have worked with J&J over the last 15 years in the development of vaccines for other diseases, such as HIV and Zika. So they are a very natural industry partner to work with us. Right. And uh, in a New York Times article where you're quoted, uh, it was reported that J&J got $450 million to develop uh, a coronavirus vaccine from the government. Is that a usual support that is expected uh, from the federal government? For COVID-19, there are companies that receive, some companies that receive even more support. So for COVID-19, it... Uh, but um, um, in everything other than COVID-19, that is very unusual. And J&J, &J, as early as March, as early as the end of March, J&J &J made a public commitment uh, to invest more than a billion dollars, that's billion with a B, more than a billion dollars in the development of this vaccine and to produce at least a billion doses of this vaccine by next year. And they made a commitment to distribute, to manufacture and distribute this vaccine uh, for global populations on a nonprofit basis. So a okay. truly astonishing, very big and very early commitment, uh, essentially, uh, uh, because we all want to do whatever we can do to help end this pandemic. And of course, we're not alone. Of course, there's many, many other vaccine groups that have, that, that have uh, started. Uh, developing COVID-19 vaccines. I think the WHO estimates that there is over 200 independent vaccines that are being developed. Of course, many of them are not on a trajectory for large phase three clinical trials, yes. but at least four to six vaccine programs are on a trajectory in the near future uh, for large scale efficacy trials in humans. And uh, this month you entered uh, human trials, uh, two months earlier than expected? Uh, we will. So the human okay. trials have not started yet, mm -hmm. but they are expected to start imminently. 
So in the next couple of weeks, we expect the phase one and phase two clinical trials to start with this AD26 COVID-19 vaccine. And if everything looks good, then we hope to be in a, uh, a position to start uh, a large phase three efficacy trial in 30,000 individuals in September of this year. Wow. And, um, and you said there are many companies that are working on a vaccine, but there are very few that are in the trajectory to these large scale trials. I mean, even in phase one, there's around 19, one and nine companies that are there. So it's a small group of companies around the world, considering how much effort um, there is um, uh, going on. Can you tell us what it means um, for a company to be in phase one, two or three? Sure. So just a brief overview. A first in human study is typically called a phase one study. That's traditionally a study in a small number of individuals, a couple dozen, primarily to look at safety of a vaccine. The next phase would be a phase two study, typically in a couple hundred individuals. And the goal is to look at different regimens, different dosing patterns to, uh, to, to find the regimen that works the best in terms of both safety and the immune responses the vaccine generates. And the regimen means the dose? Yeah, the, the dose, how many doses, okay. one-shot vaccine, a three-shot vaccine, um, um, basically to finalize what the vaccine is going to be. And then the third and final step is called a phase three study, which is typically in thousands of individuals, sometimes tens of thousands of individuals, mm -hmm. which is to determine uh, whether the vaccine actually works. And you don't know whether the vaccine will actually work, until you do a large phase three trial. You might have hints of it from animal studies, you might have hints of it along the way, but the formal demonstration of whether or not the vaccine works in terms of efficacy of preventing infection or disease is only obtained in a phase three study. And why do you not know that in phase two, if you inject some hundreds of people with a vaccine? Because uh, in a phase one and phase two study, there typically is not the numbers of individuals or the length of follow-up needed to accumulate infection endpoints. So in a phase two study, maybe there would be somewhere between zero and two people getting infected in the whole study. You just can't tell. You need a larger number of people, uh, often for a longer period of time, to know for sure whether a vaccine works or not. And obviously, if a vaccine doesn't work, then there'd be no reason to, um, to, 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 to distribute it to people. And if a vaccine does work, uh, particularly for COVID-19, you'd want it to be distributed to the largest number of people as rapidly as possible. So it's, it's critically important for all vaccines, but I would say particularly for COVID-19, it's critical to know whether the vaccine is number one, safe, and number two, effective. Right. Only uh, if a vaccine is safe and effective, then can it be distributed to large numbers of people for actual clinical use. So phase one and phase two will get initial data about safety, as well as initial data about the immune responses it generates. We mm -hmm. call that immunogenicity. However, the phase three study, because of its size, is the study that needs to confirm the safety of the vaccine in a large number of people. In addition, the phase three study will give us information about the effectiveness, the efficacy of a vaccine. 
So the the most crucial study is the phase three study, right? Absolutely. Some people would even call a phase three study the pivotal study because it's the study that will give the uh, large body of data on safety of the vaccine in large numbers of people, as well as the data as to whether the vaccine is effective. The first vaccine tested in this country is set to begin its final phase of testing later this month. Moderna published its phase one results in a peer-reviewed journal. All 45 volunteers who received this vaccine produced an immune response and showed no serious safety concerns. And how many companies around the world are currently in the third phase? Well, um, I'll tell you about the program in the United States first, Mm -hmm. and then about some other programs in the world. So uh, in the United States, as of today, there are no phase three trials that are ongoing, but the first one will start very soon, potentially at the end of July. So so Moderna uh, will be the first phase three COVID-19 vaccine study. That's an RNA vaccine that will start towards the end of this month. Uh, Pfizer will start another large phase three vaccine study, also an RNA vaccine, probably at the end of this month. Uh, AstraZeneca will start a phase three study probably in August. And then our program with J&J will probably start a phase three study probably in September. Mm -hmm. And then after that, uh, there will likely be a phase three study of a protein-based vaccine from Novavax. And then after that, then we're not completely certain, but there will probably be one or two others. Okay. So I would say in the United States in the coming three to six months, there will probably be somewhere between three and six phase three studies of COVID-19 vaccines, which is an astonishing number of studies, given that each one will probably be in the 30,000 person size range. Mm-hmm. So we're talking about 100 to 200,000 people in the country will enroll into these vaccine studies. Wow. In addition, around the world, there are a couple vaccines uh, uh, produced in China that will be tried in efficacy studies in various parts of the world. And then uh, the vaccine from Oxford, which is partnered with AstraZeneca, in addition to the U.S. study, they will have a study in South Africa and Brazil. And it's interesting that you mentioned that these studies um, you said the, the U.S. companies are doing the studies in the U.S., but these con- other countries are doing the studies abroad. Is that because you want to test where there's a big outbreak so that there's a likelihood that these people are infected? So you need to test a vaccine in outbreak areas because if there's no infections, if there's no infections at all in the vaccine or placebo group, then there's no way to tell whether the vaccine has worked or not. So you need to test vaccines in, this, in outbreak areas um, that have ongoing transmission, and only then would you be able to determine whether the vaccine is effective. Mm-hmm. So for example, in certain areas of the world that have minimal virus transmission now, then uh, those sites will not yield many endpoints in the context of Uh, phase three vaccine studies. Are there any ethical issues that uh, companies are contending with right now in um, what could 
potentially be a complication in, in you know, seeking consent from individuals to get this a vaccine because as we said, there's no remedy for it. So if, um, if it doesn't work, it could be potentially fatal. Well, the vaccines are believed to be safe. So, um, so, so, so the vaccine- But if they're not effective and the individual is exposed to COVID- So let me be very clear okay. about one thing. In none of these studies, will human volunteers be intentionally exposed to COVID? Right. So, so there won't be, none of these studies are designed as what we would call human challenge studies. So that, that's very important, I think, particularly in communications with the general public. Mm -hmm. uh, all these studies involve recruiting volunteers from the local population, giving them vaccine or placebo, and giving everybody the best advice of how to keep safe and to avoid infection, wearing masks, social distancing, et cetera. So they're not, they would be naturally exposed, yeah. as in- despite, despite our best advice in high transmission areas, there will still be some ongoing transmission. And that's what will be measured in the study. Um, and, but despite that, in high incidence areas, some people will still get infected because the virus is still raging in, in our communities and people get exposed at work, uh, in the grocery store, uh, or, or through, through their own activities. But everybody will be given the, 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 the best prevention counseling that we can. And should people get infected, they will all be given the optimal medical care that we have today. Um, I should mention that most people who get COVID-19 are either asymptomatic or have a mild case. It's only a very, very small fraction of individuals that become severely ill, and only a very small fraction of individuals uh, die of this disease, uh, mostly elderly individuals uh, with comorbidities. Um, uh, so, um, and there are treatments that are being developed as well. So remdesivir has already been approved as a treatment for this disease. It, it has partial effectiveness. It decreases hospital stay. Um, and uh, steroids have been shown to be effective. So we already have some treatments available. They're not 100% cures, of course, but there are some treatments that are already available, and it is likely that over the next three to six months, there may be other treatments that become available. And right. then in the context of these studies, anybody who does get infected will be given whatever is considered optimal medical care at that point in time. So for example, if it's three months from now and a new drug is approved, then they would be able to, they would be able to get those, those medications. Right. And what is the right amount of time to allow for phase three to, to span through? It, the actual duration of the study is not fixed in advance because the study has to accumulate a certain number of infection endpoints in order to be successful in order to be able to show definitively whether or not a particular vaccine works. So we can't say upfront whether the study will last three months, six months, nine months, um, uh, because we don't know how fast infection endpoints will accumulate. Right. How many would you say, is there a ballpark measure? How many people you need from those 30,000 to show that um, uh, this is an individual who has been injected with a vaccine, who has been exposed, who has the vaccine has been uh, successful in, in preventing um, 
So in a typical study of this size, 30,000 individuals, there is usually about a one-to-one -one randomization of vaccine versus placebo. So 15,000 people would get the vaccine, 15,000 right. would get the placebo. And then um, uh, for a study to show effectiveness or not, it depends on the exact plans, but approximately 100 individuals would need to become infected. And then the, the vaccine efficacy will be calculated on how the number of infections splits into mm -hmm. the vaccine group and the placebo group. Many brilliant minds are devoted to discovering is how to stop COVID-19. A few days ago, an Australian company announced it hoped to begin human trials of a vaccine within weeks. But in other countries, especially China and the United States, developing and owning a coronavirus vaccine has become a biotech arms race with political overtones. There are fears that scientific victories will also be seen as superpower supremacy. And one thing I found interesting is that this uh, process of developing the vaccine is called a race. But in a race, the connotation is that the first one wins versus like in the current state, it doesn't mean that the first vaccine to be out there is the winner and all, all the rest are uh, necessarily second, third place because the first one can have a certain kind of efficacy. That doesn't mean that it's not effective at all. It just means that you need several and the process of developing the vaccine goes on in order to get the best, the, the best one working out there. Is that correct? I don't believe that this is, this is not a race amongst different vaccine developers. Mm -hmm. If there's any race at all, it's that we all are on the same team racing against the virus and racing against a raging pandemic that is right outside our doors. Right. So it's not a race of one vaccine developer or one company against another vaccine developer or another company. In fact, we actually need not one vaccine, we need multiple vaccines to be successful because we have 300 million people in this country and we have 7 billion people in the world. No single company is going to be able to supply the world with vaccine product. Right. So we actually not only want, we need multiple vaccines to be successful. In addition, each vaccine is gonna have its own characteristics. Some will have different side effect profiles, some will have different levels of effectiveness, some might be particularly good in the, the elderly or the young, some might not. So it is, it is quite possible uh, that um, uh, if there are multiple vaccines that are successful, that some might be preferred in some settings and some might be preferred in other settings. So I actually, my own feeling is I'm, I'm actually hoping that, 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 that multiple vaccines will be successful because the country needs and that's what the world needs. Right, right. And I know that um, uh, it, takes, it takes time and it takes uh, accurate data in order to make any predictions. But if you had to give a rough estimate of when we could see the first vaccine out there, uh, what would you say? So we're still at the early stages of this process. The phase three studies have not yet been done. So it's hard to predict how fast they will enroll, how fast they will accumulate endpoints, and when data could become available. But 
if everything goes absolutely perfectly, then we might have efficacy data from one or more vaccine studies by the end of this calendar year. And there could be emergency use authorization for one or more of these vaccines by early 2021. Um, but that really requires everything going perfectly from this point forward. And as we all know, in science and medicine, sometimes things don't go perfectly first time. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and, um, and, and so the, so the timelines will, of course, be refined as time goes forward. And um, do you get the sense that the process is being extra rushed and that could have consequences? Or are you comfortable with what you're seeing in development and how it's taking place? Well, the main question or concern is whether the faster than usual vaccine development efforts in some way will result in a vaccine that um, uh, does not have the adequate safety database or does not have the adequate scientific uh, credentials. And um, so far, uh, the, the way that the vaccine process has been sped up is really by doing things in parallel rather than in series and for the companies to take tremendous financial risk. One example is that most of the companies that have vaccines aimed at phase three studies are actually starting to mass produce their vaccines now, even before we know whether or not the vaccines work or not. Normally, wow. that would never be done. Normally, you'd wait to see whether the vaccine works. If it works, then you mass produce it and distribute it. That because it's might, very expensive to mass that, produce. That process might take years. So that's why it, might, it often still takes years from when a phase three study is completed and when a vaccine is actually ready for distribution. If that time frame can be eliminated altogether, then a vaccine could potentially become available for the general public much, much sooner than in, in the normal ways of doing things. Um, so by taking substantial financial risk, obviously the company's heavily supported by the US government as well, uh, uh, then the timelines can be shortened substantially. Now that's a way of shortening the timelines with no additional risk for the participants. Also, the safety database in humans is really about person years. So if you do, if you do a vaccine study in 30,000 people for six months, that's 15,000 person years of experience. That's the same amount of safety data that you would have if you had say a thousand person study, but it went on for um, three years. So a 5,000 person study going on for three years would be 15,000 person years of experience. A 30,000 person study going on for six months actually still gives you about 15,000 yeah. 15, person years of experience. So, so there, there, should, there should actually be a substantial safety database, um, as well as uh, hopefully, if, hopefully we, will, we will be able to show efficacy of these vaccines in a very scientifically um, rigorous way. But of course, that depends on the data, we'll, we'll see. But the studies are designed uh, to accumulate a large safety database and to show uh, scientific uh, uh, rigor of whether these vaccines either work or don't work. And um, as a last question, uh, can you tell us something that you found very heartening uh, during this process? I know you 
have all been subjected to great amount of stress and pressure and and very long hours of work and 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 it's appreciated by everyone so we'd love to hear what has been a warming experience a warming realization that you have seen during this time i think during this time i've seen i've seen the best of people come out i think most people who are engaged in this effort are really doing it because they want to do whatever they can to help bring an end to this pandemic um, I've seen people volunteering to work harder than they've ever worked before. Purely volunteer, none of them have been required to do this. Um, I've seen people collaborate with others, um, groups to collaborate, companies to collaborate in ways I've never seen before. So I think that um, uh, there, there's been more open sharing of data and materials and reagents and information uh, at the local level, the national level, and the international level than I've ever seen before. So I think if there's anything heartening about this pandemic, it's how doctors and scientists have come together with a common goal of doing everything we can to try to put an end to this pandemic. And hopefully that is something that's gonna continue uh, in the future and in all other cases, this kind of collaboration. And um, Dr. Baruch, thank you so much. It has been wonderful talking to you. Well, thank you. It's been a pleasure to be here. Thank you very much. You're very welcome. Have a great day. Bye. Bye.